Hello and welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast, time for our previews show. This of course is the uh, episode where we go through the previews books, pick out the best titles that we're looking forward to most. Uh, this is the May previews and most of these titles will ship in July, although there's always a few early solicitations in there as well. So your host always is uh, Alan from Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, delighted to be joined this evening, in person no less, by Mr Keith Miller. And yes, it is the first time that... We have recorded in person for how many years? Oh, it must be three years minimum, at least. No more lags, no more delays, no more crazy pause moments where who's going to speak next. It's actually nice to be here in person. Yeah, very much, very much. So uh, we're recording uh, at my gaff. Uh, I have a little bit more freedom as I don't have a small child. You also have a geek room, which is perfect for it. We see, we look around, we see everything any geek would love. You see Star Trek, you see Marvel, you see essential Marvel books, you see DC omnibuses, you see frames, uh, prints and canvases. And it could uh, it could do with a wee bit of uh, tidying up for sure. It could. Uh, but it we'll could. get there, we'll get there. It's the last, it's the last room in our list of... Uh, of things we need to why do. Why is your Why is your geek room last key? What's What's going on? It should other, have been first. Yeah, no, there's there's things like bedrooms and stuff that you have to live in. <laughs> ah, you, you can sleep rooms, anywhere. So. Close your eyes, you fall asleep. <laughs> this stuff's important. But yeah, we haven't recorded in person since since pre COVID. Um, yeah, yeah, we were trying to work this out before we started. You know, obviously we were fortunate enough over COVID to, you know, evolve the podcast in a way where we could record via Skype and via Zoom. We were fortunate enough to interview lots of comic creators. We seem to remember interviewing David M. Bohr and Drew Zucker. In person, as in four of us huddled around our dining room table. But then I think by the next interview, it was it was all remote. I think so. I think so. That that next interview was was it Chip? I think it was Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been quite the journey tonight, but it's nice to actually be sitting in person, as I say, uh, even if our audio setup is a little lacking this evening. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the audio gear has uh, has resided at Alan's uh, Alan's place, and uh, you've recently relocated, so. Uh, Brought some of it over. Uh, you have a new uh, a new MacBook or whatever this device is, <laughs> uh, and uh, in standard Apple uh, Apple sort of uh, way of doing things, they don't uh, have any USB ports. Um, so if you could see the disgust of the look of disgust <laughs> on Keith's face right now, having to record this on an Apple product, this is a man who does not like Apple. Well, maybe he likes apples. He just doesn't like Apple. Yes, yes, that's, exactly that's a whole it. other thing. But uh, yeah, no, it's the the idea here is always the previews podcast. This is. This is probably the podcast I get asked the most about in terms of when you're going to put it out. People like the information. Obviously, there's lots of stuff to get through in previews books. There's hundreds, if not over a thousand titles every month. And we obviously break it down into the ones we're most looking forward to. And and we're even doing that in a way now where both Keith and I are trying to trim our pull lists a little bit. You know, 20 titles being the aim. Yes, I know, 20 titles, that's right, dear listeners, some people don't read 20 titles in six months, but yeah, we, we aim to do it on a weekly basis, so we, we do go through the books thoroughly and pick out, as I say, the best stuff from the DC book, the Marvel book, and the indie book as well. So yeah, I mean, looking at the DC book, it's uh, obviously DC are going to be leading with this new event that they're doing for a couple of months called Night Terrors. This is essentially going to cover all the main DC titles, so essentially... For two months, the DC titles are on pause to be taken over by this. So, what we call the Edge of Apocalypse maneuver. Well, you you say Edge of Apocalypse, I say Villain of the Month, or um, what's the other one? DC did a little while back. Future State would be another one. But but yeah, I mean this this can be a tricky thing for retailers because I don't know whether anybody who's on Batman wants the two part Batman Night Terror series or do they just want the main title? So that that becomes a little problematic. I mean. What I'll probably do is I'll order in enough to cover pull lists 
and then offer it to people if they don't want it it's certainly not a problem uh, but obviously they just have to understand there won't be any like mainline say Batman or Superman or action comics titles for two months but but yeah I mean we'll, we'll talk more about the individual titles later on but the the blurb is that Night Terrors takes over DC's publishing line this July and August, headlined by a terrifying four-issue series written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter and Guillaume March. The story starts as Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman discover the dead body of one of their earliest enemies at the Hall of Justice. Their investigation takes them past the land of the living, beyond the land of the dead and into a realm of nightmares. The only way to save the world is to call for the help of an unlikely hero, Dead Man. I love horror comics and it's been a blast bringing that energy to Dawn of DC. Night Terror showcases the horror side of our heroes as a brand new villain, Insomnia. There's your speculator alert. Uh, confronts them with their worst nightmares, said Joshua Williamson. It's a fun and horrific event that brings together all of the heroes and villains of DC along with some surprises. So as I say, there will be a bunch of sort of two-issue sort of tie-in mini-series almost. You know, Batman, Superman, Detective, Flash, etc, etc. We'll go into more detail a little further on. Uh, outside of that, in the DC book, you've got a couple of other series kicking things off. We see a welcome return for Batman Beyond from a you know exciting creative team who were always a big fan of anything they do. They seem to be toying the line nicely between DC and Marvel at the moment, doing great work of both. We've got Mark Wade kicking off another title. This man really is low key taking over the DC universe, and I am all for it. He loves his world's finest, doesn't he? Oh, he really does. He loves his sort of Silver Age comics, clearly. Uh, we've got another Harley Quinn title that could actually be quite fun, which is going to be anthology based. Uh, you know, you've got Chips at Arsky working on the first issue, so always a bonus. There's a new silly size book for Keith to him and how over whether he wants, <laughs> because Mark Wade is again involved in that. And then there's some good graphic novel collections as well. Some some of the newer collections. Uh, as well as a bona fide Batman classic finally coming back to print, which we'll we'll definitely jump into later as well. So yeah, pretty packed DC book, but the emphasis yeah is very very much on Night Terrors, uh, and again we'll go into more detail on that in a moment. So that's DC. What's that Marvel book look like? Well, as you know, July is the the heart of the summer, um, and hopefully. Here we'll be feeling the heat, but in the Marvel universe, <laughs> oh, the optimism! They certainly are, and uh, uh, so so things are things are, uh, I guess, bubbling bubbling over there. Uh, there's a whole wreck of new titles um, coming in, in July. Um, one of the biggest thing I think that, that's coming up in July. One of the things that I'm most looking forward to is uh, what's now the X Men's annual Hellfire Gala. Uh, uh, that will be this year will be a one shot uh, titled the Hellfire Gala and that will launch the upcoming Fall of X era for the X-Men comic line bringing big ominous changes uh, to uh, the do you think we're going to go back to the uh, the mansion Professor X's mansion at some point I no I don't know I, 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 we've said it before I don't I don't see it happening I don't see it happening it would be very disappointing if it did but it'll certainly be a change in the status quo for uh, for Krakoa I think mm-hmm. um, so Fall of X includes uh, a bunch of new titles uh, that are going to be launched throughout July and also August, including Astonishing Iceman, Uncanny Spider-Man, Dark X-Men, Realm of X, Children of the Vault and Alpha Flight, which will put new new sort of uh, ideas on, on things that have been really part of X-Men for a long time. You know, a lot of those characters and, and teams have been, have been there, but... Uh, uh, but yeah, so we'll 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 see how those things look in in the in, uh, this fall of X part of the Krakoan era. Um, Moon Knight is expanding into a second title, which we'll chat about. Moon Knight: City of the Dead, 
which will uh, introduce the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe of the character of the Scarlet Scarab, who was uh, in the Moon Knight TV series, uh, into the into the comics. Um, so uh, that'll be the, the the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe character to make the jump the other way. Uh, which is nice to see. So lots of other solicits that you'd be used to seeing uh, in the book, uh, you know, and we've got uh, an odd, very strange milestone. We've commented on this on our chat that uh, they're celebrating 84 years as a publisher with that Marvel 84. Age 1000. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 84 is a bit of a random number. It is. It's not 50 or 75 or 90 even. It's, no. No, it's, uh, yeah. So it's a one shot that revives the name of Marvel's classic news magazine about its publications and creators, but... Uh, Rather than a, a non-fiction mag, uh, Marvel Age 1000 will feature stories from a variety of creators uh, from throughout Marvel history. We also have the continuation of Hickman's Ultimate Invasion, which I'm very much looking forward to the start of. We have Amazing Spider-Man's Wedding of the Year, uh, where Peter is just the best man. Uh, we have Captain America 750, which will be uh, bringing together uh, Sentinel of Liberty and Symbol of Truth. Truth, thank you. Uh, for a for a, a post Cold War, uh, I guess cooldown. Uh, we'll see what we're uh, we'll see what we're doing there. And our nostalgia book, uh, from Marvel for July is X Men: Days of Future Past, Doomsday. So they've they've developed this sort of habit, which is not entirely unwelcome, of uh, servicing the nostalgia of fans of my age uh, and a little older by releasing you know recently sort of Gambit or. Lethal uh, Protector, yeah, uh, Lethal Protector, or uh, Craven, you know the last Craven thing by, by creators that uh, that were there at the time. So I think that one, that one in particular, the the revisit of Days of Future Past is Mark Guggenheim. So, uh, so plenty going on in Marvel in July. Yeah, nice big thick book as always. You know, tons of continuations and stuff as well. A couple of graphic novel collections we'll certainly get into on top of that as well. And then the last, of course, is the indie book, which I, I say the last of no means least. It's always the biggest book. There's so much uh, stuff in the in the indie book this month. A very strong month, I think, with some fantastic looking image titles. Although we say that pretty much every month, I would say. But if you delve a little bit deeper into the book, there's some seriously interesting stuff coming from some sort of smaller publishers. You know, uh, we have a welcome return for a pulp hero that I know Keith will be very excited about. Oh, oh yes. A follow-up book to uh, a title that came out last year. Uh, we have a Punisher team reuniting for a new AWA title uh, with covers by Declan Shelby, no less, which looks really, really cool. There's some original graphic novels in there, including one based on uh, a, a reporter who followed Cops Beats, which led to some very famous TV shows, including, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say, Keith's favourite TV show of all time. I think Possibly the greatest TV show of all time. Possibly the greatest. Uh, you, you keep saying Twin Peaks all wrong. <laughs> uh, and when we go into the original graphic novels as well, there's one that it's uh, a wrestling one that you know is going to be up there with my personal picks of the month. Uh, it looks really, really cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's your brief overview. You know, we have the books in front of us. Uh, flicking through them, you know, DC Connect, as I say, it's all about night terrors. You know, it, it forms maybe the first 15 to 16 pages of the book. You know, you have a nice uh, map here of all the titles that it's going to be. But, yeah, you've, you've essentially got a one-shot, which is Night Terror's uh, First Blood. It says Night Terror starts here. So you've got a special oversized issue that sets up this horror event. I, although I must say, doing a horror event in summer is really strange. Why not do this in October? Well, you know, mix it up a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, what are you going to do for a summer event? Like a Terror by the Pool or... 
you know that's fair that's yeah, fair absolutely this was uh joshua williamson yeah joshua williamson shepherding this so of course joshua williamson recently did dark crisis and infinite earths he sort of spearheaded this dawn of dc direction i think and very successfully as well there's been some great stuff coming out from that so as i say it kicks off with this one shot which is a 48 pager called night terror's first blood art by howard porter uh, so again it's it's the blurb I gave you at the start about Batman Superman Wonder Woman finding a body of an early enemy and looking at uh, to dead man for help so pardon me that is your oversized issue to start and then it goes into a four issue miniseries which if I had to guess is going to be fortnightly because this book actually has uh, issue one and two uh, and again you've got some great artists on this you've got Giuseppe Camoncoli and Casper Weingard working on those. So, uh, again, keep your eye out for those uh, speculators when it comes to Night Terrors. There is a new character being introduced called Insomnia uh, in issue one. So, yeah, that is the main series. So, it, it's kind of weird talking to people about this because what I would recommend personally is read your main four issue miniseries and then from that decide on either characters that you like or creative teams that you like. Now, I I have looked through. I will probably get most of these because again, I like the creative teams, but I don't think I'll personally get them all. But to give you an idea of the rundown, so you've got Night Terrors, Batman, Black Adam, Shazam, Detective Comics, The Flash, Harley Quinn, Nightwing, Poison Ivy, Punchline. There's where I'm talking about not getting them all. Mm -hmm. Ravager, Robin, Night's End, First Blood, Titans, Satana. There's a definite. Uh, the Joker, Green Lantern, Angel Breaker, Catwoman, Action Comics, Wonder Woman, and Superman. So, again, the, the DC Connect book is online. It seemed to take a brief hiatus for a month mm -hmm. there, but you can't actually get it again. But, yeah, you've got people working on these titles, such as Joshua Williamson, Dan Waters, and I'm just talking writers here, G. Willow Wilson, Kenny Porter, Tini Howard, Matthew Rosenberg... Uh, Alex Pacnadel, you've got Leah Williams, Philip Kennedy Johnson, uh, you've got Jeremy Juan, and Mark Wade, and then of course you go into the, the artist side of things and you've got artists on titles such as Dexter Soy, Roger Cruz, uh, Lucio Perillo, uh, you've got Leela Lays, Hayden Sherman, Miguel Mendoza, Stefano Rafale, um, mm -hmm. Gleb Melnikoff, you know, it's, they're, they're this doesn't seem like... I remember when Future State came out, it felt a little bit to me like a little bit of a fill-in idea for a yep. couple of months. You know, it was like, let's pause the DC Universe. But don't get me wrong, there was a lot of good stuff through Future State. But this doesn't seem like that to me because they, they do have their top-level talent involved in all of these. Is this a case... I mean, what's the, what's the uh, idea behind this, do you think? Is this a case of uh, trying to get people who are fans of certain writers or certain artists onto other characters or or vice versa. Is it a place people you know both people follow characters and go, actually there's uh there's uh Jeremy Adams on Green Lantern. What's he doing? Oh he's doing Flash and maybe pick up his Flash run, you know, is it Yeah, possibly. I mean with Jeremy Adams certainly, I mean he's taking over Green Lantern um very soon. Green Lantern through Dawn of DC okay. comes out in the next few weeks. All right. There are some of the creative teams that are the same. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Shazam number one through Night Terrors is written by Mark Wade. Mark Wade and Dan Moore about the launch a Shazam title. Uh -huh. uh, Phil Kennedy Johnson is co-writing Action Comics Night Terrors. 
Joshua Williamson's writing Superman. But then there are other ones that the creative teams are different. Yeah. So like Nightwing number one, of course, a, a title we talk so much about, Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. It's actually written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad in this case, mm-hmm. with art by Daniel DiNiculo. It looks like uh, Tom Taylor's taking a wee holiday over this next couple of months. It does, same with Chip as well. Chip Zdarsky, obviously, because the, the Night Terror's Batman is going to be written by Joshua Williamson, mm-hmm. with art by Game March. Whether this is a case of some of the monthlies building up on some of the creators and they got to get ahead of the game. Uh-huh. You know, maybe, yeah. you know, Chip, for example, say Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo are working on the next 10 issues of Nightwing and getting ahead of the game, mm-hmm. something like that. So this is running, it's running throughout July. Is it only July or is it July, August? July and August. So okay. there'll be one issue, all, all of these are going to be two issue okay. sort of miniseries. Mm-hmm. So one will come out in July, one will come out in August. Uh, there's some cool covers as well. There is a, a, a series of covers called Midnight Variants done by Dustin Wen. There's one for every single title and it's done in this really sort of cool black and uh, red stylized version. I could see that being a set that would people would be maybe freaking out over a little bit. But but again, if you want to get into this event, Night Terrors, I personally don't think you'll need them all. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be essential to the understanding of the main story. So what I would say is uh, sign up for Night Terrors 1-4, to Joshua Williamson writing it of course, so again you know it's going to be good. And then pick and choose based on characters or creators. I think um, it's a free comic book day issue as well. There is indeed. That's a, that's a very good point, my friend. Yeah, so free comic book day. We're releasing this towards the end of April. Free comic book day is the 6th of May. And DC's book this year is focusing on this Night Terrors event. So we've plenty of them in for the store on the day. Again, just a general reminder, we do open at 9am on uh, the Saturday, the 6th of May. Thankfully, the Royalists did not uh, mess this up for us. Uh, I had a heart. I had some heart palpitations the other day because someone pointed out that the King's coronation was on Saturday, the sixth of May, and I started panicking, thinking that Smithfield was going to be closed, uh, the council were going to close. But thankfully, I've had confirmation that is not the case, so right. we can relax. But yeah, as Keith says, the the free comic book day issue is going to focus on night terror. So that'll maybe if you're on the fence about it, that'll maybe make your mind up one way or the other. Maybe you like the direction it's going in, maybe you won't, but it'll definitely give you a, a flavour. The villain sounds a little like uh, Nightmare, who uh, recently appeared in the X-Books. Oh yeah? Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a fairly classic uh, uh, Marvel villain, one of Doctor Strange's. Um, so, uh, interesting. Are you trying to say that these two companies would sort of steal maybe, ideas from each other? off each other a wee bit, <laughs> you know? I think they've heard of each other at least. I think they have. I think they have, even though it was a DC moved all the way to California to get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> for years they were across the road essentially in New York but DC is now focused in uh, in California so yeah that is the Night Terrors event again you can check out all the information online get a sense of the individual teams there but uh, as Keith said yeah free comic book day title that's going to be your your main entrance way into it I would say so we're going to swing out of Night Terrors and into a modern retelling of the early adventures of the original Teen Titans uh, from the pages of Batman Superman World's Finest. Uh, so we've got World's Finest Teen Titans number one. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Emanuelo Lupacino. Uh, it's a first of a six issue miniseries with a cover by the one and only Chris Samney. Oh, yes. Uh, but also variants with by uh, Doc Shainer and uh, Jim Chung. And it says spinning out of the runaway hit of. Batman Superman World's Finest comes a modern retelling of the early adventures of the original Teen Titans. 
led by Robin the Boy Wonder, a new super team has burst onto the scene. Meet uh, the Teen Titans, DC's grooviest group filled with super teens with super problems. And when they're not fighting alongside their Justice League mentors, they're managing their image and cultivating the rabid fan base that helps them save the world. Uh, as all the while, a danger from the shadows uh, intends to tear these friends apart uh, before they reach the big time. Before they were the Titans of the DCU, they were the Teen Titans, because of course the Titans of the DCU are now the big super team uh, with the the, uh, the loss of the Justice League. Yep. Um, they were the Teen Titans and you don't want to miss this fresh take on their origins from the legend talents of Mark Wade and Emanuelo Lupacino. Yeah, I mean, that artist is uh, someone who did fill-in art on World's Finest recently. I say fill-in art, but it was actually one of my picks of last month. It was Batman Superman 12. So it was the uh, the date between Robin and Supergirl. So that was not Dan Mora doing art on that issue. It was Emanuele Lupacino. So maybe that was a an audition for that title, perhaps. Could have been, could have been. Now, if you don't mind me taking another one. Oh, I know it's your corner of the, all the, the market here. Um, so I can't help myself because Batman Beyond is one of my favourite DC characters uh, and uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about them this particular nope. episode, are penning the sequel to their smash hit Batman Beyond Neo Year with Batman Beyond Neo Gothic number one. Uh, it is... Uh, I am unsure how many issues it is. It doesn't say. Anything. I would imagine it's going to be six yeah, issues again. So. Six, six issues before... Uh, it would make sense. It's the same artist, I believe, uh, as well, Max, Max Dunbar. Dunbar. Yep. So it says, Terry McGuinness defeated the evil AA, controlling Neo-Gotham, and inserted himself as the one true Batman. But his next battle will bring him to the, the remnants of old Gotham. Children are going missing or be, and being swallowed by the city's old bones. Batman Beyond will have to go underground, led by a mysterious splicer named uh, Kyle the Catboy. <laughs> to find the children and confront the city's buried sins. What happened to the green of the city? What happened to the magic? And what villains never left old Gotham? All these questions will be answered by the red-hot creative team of Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing of Batman One More Day, One Bad Day Clayface and Captain America Simple Liberty and Max Dunbar uh, of Batman Urban Legends. So uh, bring on more Batman Beyond as far as I'm concerned. And look at that. They're even sneaking a Marvel reference into the DC book there with Captain America. Ah, that's sure. <laughs> but yeah, th- that'll be those creators we were talking about in the intro who are, you know, straying the line brilliantly between DC and Marvel at the moment because obviously we're, we're really, really enjoying their Captain America stuff. They're doing plenty of other things through um, Marvel as well. I've no doubt in a future review show we'll be talking about Guardians of Galaxy number one, which uh, was very, very good. Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It really was good. And, uh, so let's not forget to mention their work on IDW's Star Trek. Which most, is phenomenal, most importantly. Uh, so yeah, so that is uh, Batman Beyond Neo-Gothic. As Keith states, it doesn't specify in the book of how long that'll be, but I'd, I'd be very surprised if that wasn't a six-issue miniseries. Uh, but yeah, so we move along from there and on to the, the aforementioned silly-sized book that will have Keith worried because it's Superman, mm-hmm. it's Mark Waid, uh-huh. it's Brian Hitch. Oof. But it's silly size. Ah. So we'll see. Uh, but how, yeah, it's how many issues of silly size is it? Three issues three of silly issues, size. Three issues, okay. Three issues of silly size. Right. So, so yeah. So this is a black label book. So again, we say silly size. It's it's full title is Prestige Plus. So this, of course, is the. It's almost like a a square comic. Uh, it, you know, we've spoke about it before. We do wonder if like artists decide it's going to be this side or if it's writers. Maybe artists just like have more of the page to work on, but. 
as we have talked about before, it can be a pain when you're wanting to store it in your nice comic box. But <laughs> this title is called Superman, The Last Days of Lex Luthor. So uh, as said, Mark Wade writing, Brian Hitch on art and doing covers. Uh, it's even got a very cover by Chris Samney as well. He's, he's all over DC this month. Mark Wade and Brian Hitch reunite to tell a tale centered on their favorite superhero. When did Mark Wade say that Superman... Anyway. Leave it. Move on. Superman learns Lex Luthor is dying and he wants the Man of Steel to help him find the cure for whatever is causing his rapid decline. While the world wants to say good riddance to Luthor, Superman will go to the ends of the universe through different dimensions and across time to save his foe. But why? just why does he want to save the person who spent his life trying to destroy him? And will he even be able to find the solution? So yeah, Black Label stuff tends to be more adult-orientated storytelling. Um... I mean, it's weird with Brian Hitch. There's times I think his art's absolutely fantastic and there's other times that his dimensions look a little wrong. Like, I think there's a preview page here with Superman that looks a bit stretchy to me, mm. a bit Mr. Fantastic almost, but the cover's glorious and some of the action scenes look great as well. So, uh, but yeah, I'll I'll pick it up anyway, give the first issue a go because Mark Wade is, uh, is a personal favourite. Moving away from there, we have a anthology book coming out that seems to be very much in vogue these days through DC and Marvel. Uh, these anthology books, which have a lack of colour, shall we say, or a very defined colour set, kick things off with Batman Black and White, and then it's went from there. But what we've got here is Harley Quinn Black, White, and Redder. So there was already a volume called Harley Quinn Black, White, and Red, so this is a follow up to that. Normally this is not something I care about, but then you throw in Chip Zdarsky and Kevin McGuire's names there. I'm kind of interested. The bloody brilliance of 2020's Harvey-nominated Harley Quinn Black, White and Red deserved an encore, this time in print. In this all-new miniseries, 18 short tales of Gotham's most unpredictable anti-hero unspooling Black, White and Red ink, because she's never seen the world in just black and white. In this issue, and I'm pretty sure Chip Zdarsky wrote this next part, <laughs> in this issue, comedic legends... They made us say that. Chip Zdarsky and Kevin Maguire team up to send Harley and Ivy deep into the heart of the Fortress of Solitude. Leah Williams and Natasha Bustos reveal Harley's teenage past as a high-flying gymnast with vengeance on her mind. And actor Paul Shear joins co-writer Nick Giovanetti and artist Tom Riley to send former Joker sidekicks Harley and Gaggy Gagsworthy on a heist that's worth the risk. But can the pair walk out on their vendetta in 30 seconds flat when they feel the heat around the corner? <laughs> oh, I mean, they're, they're speaking my language the whole way through that solicit. Um, so yeah, that is Harley, uh, Black, White and Redder. And I'll just throw another quick one in before passing it back to yourself. Just because we mentioned Harley. There is the graphic novel collection this month solicited of Batman and Joker, The Deadly Duo. This has been a really, really great seven issue miniseries, one issue to go, uh, done by Mark Silvestri. Of course, one of the co-founders of Image Comics. Of course. An industry legend through Marvel prior to that. So this was a really cracking series. It was a real throwback series to sort of early 2000s Batman. Self-contained, great storytelling and pretty fantastic art. So this is going to be a hardcover collection of all seven issues. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. But we are very much into the graphic novel section of the DC book. And uh, this is one that if I, I think if you hadn't highlighted this, I definitely would. Oh, absolutely. I think we both enjoyed this. One so. of the books of the year, I think. Yep, absolutely. But we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out towards the end of the towards year. Towards the end of the year. You know, whenever <laughs> we get around to it. But uh, yeah, I wanted to highlight uh, the trade paperback uh, release of GCPD, The Blue Wall by, uh, by John Ridley and art by uh, Stefano Raphael. Uh, it's 144 pages. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I said this was a trade. I was mistaken. It's a hardcover. Um, 
Deserves a heart cover. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Still relatively early in her tenure as GCPD Commissioner, Rennie Montoya, the lady that we know as The Question, question. uh, sets out uh, to rebuild her department and restore faith in the historically troubled PD during some of the worst conditions it's ever seen. But Rennie can't do it alone. In order for her plan to work, everyone in the from the topmost officials all the way down to the most fresh-faced new officers must continue uh, to deal with the contend with the hard realities of being a symbol of law and order in a city of superpowered saviors and superhuman lawlessness. This collects GCPD, the Blue Wall, numbers one to six, and yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think that uh, that solicit actually undersells it a wee bit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even the the cover is it's a nice cover of Renee Montoya. By the look of it, just getting completely um, ravaged by her non-adoring uh, citizen, shall yeah. we say. But uh, this was a fantastic book and, you know, it's it brought up some very real-world issues. It, style, yeah. it, it told interesting stories for how rookies would be treated in a, a city as crazy as Gotham City, but how a certain stereotyping, of course, still exists even in that sort of um, environment. And it, 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 it's sort of a character piece as well on Montoya and her trying to get the grips with, you know, that high level of responsibility as well. But yeah, fantastic book, beautiful looking book as well. Stefano Rafali on art through that as well. I wanted to showcase another classic I'd mentioned in the intro, a Stone Cold Batman classic. Now back in print, this has been a pain to try and get <laughs> for the last year or two. And uh, they're bringing it back with a beautiful jock cover, no less. So I'm talking about Batman Under the Red Hood, the deluxe edition. So this is an absolute classic story written by Jude Winnick, art by Doug Mahanke, Shane Davis, Jeremy Kwan, Eric Bell, and others. As I say, a brand new cover by Jock. Now this is a deluxe edition. So for the first time ever, Under the Red Hood and The Lost Days are collected together to tell the complete story of Red Hood's origin. Celebrate the 40th anniversary of Jason Todd with this brand new oversized hardcover featuring his infamous return to Gotham City as Red Hood and his long journey back from death. So this is stuffed to the gills. It collects Batman 635 to 641, Batman 645 to 650, Batman Annual 25, Red Hood The Lost Days 1 to 6, and pages from Batman 617 along with a brand new introduction by Jude Winnick and never before seen behind the scenes material. So that is an absolutely glorious addition for genuinely one of the best Batman books of the last sort of 20-30 years. Oof, that's, uh, that is quite something, uh, quite something. I'm just uh, having a wee quick flick here because there's a couple more things that, uh, that I wouldn't mind highlighting to you. Uh, the first of those is, uh, and I just want to check, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. It's the soft cover release of Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen's Batman and Robin. Or, collecting it's actual title, Robin and Batman. Robin and Batman. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, for clearing that up. It collects uh, Robin and Batman from last year. I think it was the start of last year. Yeah, it was. Uh, so that's Robin and Batman number one uh, to three. The legendary story of Batman and Robin has reached nearly mythic proportions. The crime-fighting dynamic duo are always one step ahead of the criminals they pursue, and no case is too big for the pair. This isn't that story. This is the story of a young Dick Grayson, newly orphaned, struggling to find his way in a strange, difficult and dark new world. This is the story of Robin and Batman. Always, always nice to go back to early days, Dick Grayson, Robin. Yeah, and this was this was so well written. Yeah. Uh, and look beautiful, look beautiful. And then last thing worth highlighting is uh, the Batman Adventures Omnibus. A uh, hardcover uh, numbering ooh, over a thousand pages uh, written by yes. Kelly Puckett, Martin Pascoe, Paul Dini and others with art by uh, Mike Parabek, Ty Timbleton, 
Uh, we're glad he's still with us. Bruce Tim and others, uh, covered by Ty Timbleton. Debuting in 1992, Batman the Animated Series achieved the near-impossible feat of integrating the dark and mature f uh, themes of Tim Burton Batman films into a kid-friendly cartoon show. The massive, this massive omnibus collects the entire comics run of the animated Dark Knight from Batman Adventures 1-36, to The Batman Adventures Annuals 1 and 2, The Batman Adventures Holiday Special number 1, A Story from Batman Black and White number 1, uh, Batman Adventures Mad Love number 1, and for the first time ever, the never-before-reprinted comic book adaption of the animated feature film Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Well, that's how they get you. <laughs> that is how they get you. So that is a, that's a hardcover omnibus, but that's a beaut. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting because I see that cover brings back nice childhood memories for me because that is the first graphic novel I ever bought and I still have it. Absolutely beaten up, uh, well read, well enjoyed, uh, but it contained I think the first six to eight issues or something like that. So yeah, great stuff. Lovely. So that takes care of the DC book. How is that Marvel book looking now? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Um, we have uh, Moon Knight's 25th issue on the cover. Uh, we mentioned uh, Ultimate Invasion, uh, the Jonathan Hickman, Brian Hitch uh, series. It's on its, uh, its first two issues. And the, uh, the special oversized Amazing Spider-Man 31 with the, uh, the wedding of Janice Lincoln, the Beatle, and Randy Robertson, the son of uh, Robbie Robertson. Uh, that's our, our big wedding issue. Oh, the alliteration of names in the Marvel Universe. Wait, but the first thing we come to, there's very little to be said about the classified solicitation for Fallen Friend number one. It's a 40 page one shot and all will be revealed on the 31st of May. Yeah, lots of people speculating this is going to be Mary Jane. Uh, as much as anything, I wonder if Fallen Friend is very deliberately to be FF and it's something to do with Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. Maybe we shall see, but. Yeah, yeah. As, as we well know in comics anyway, death is but a minor, you know, infraction. Well, I mean, it depends on the character. You know, uh, it depends on the character. Uh, we've, we've spoken about Alfred. Mm. Um, a character like, like Mary Jane could certainly be gone for much longer than a than a feature character. Yeah, um, than a superhero, I suppose. Uh, I think that was one of the theories. Uh, the fact that uh, the fact that it's red and black. Uh, the it says classified red classified on a black on a black screen and. Uh, and I think the stuff we've seen online is similar coloured. Of course, black and red are, are, are sort of Spider-Man colours. Mm. Um, uh, whether that be Miles Morales or or Peter. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say black and red's more Miles. Peter's more blue. Yeah, right? yeah, you're probably... You're probably it depends how dark he's coloured. Mm, true. Um, but yeah, I mean, that being the Daredevil's case, black and red and Chip Zdarsky's yeah. leaving soon. Well, there you go. Could be that. <laughs> we, didn't, uh, we didn't go that far. But yeah, um, could, be, uh, could be Daredevil. Uh, could be uh, if it is Spider Man, could be, could be MJ, could be Norman Osborn, uh, who's become quite significant. Yeah, uh, you know, over the past few, and uh, or it could be Fantastic Four related. Uh, we cannot know at this stage. We cannot, and I'm sure leading up to the days of release, it will probably be spoiled everywhere. So <laughs> check Twitter and the internet at your own peril. So a solicitation that we can talk about is Marvel Edge number one thousand. Uh, which is celebrating the uh, the strange uh, eighty four years of uh, of Marvel. Very weird. Not really mentioning it uh, a lot, but uh, what a uh, what a team on it. J. Michael Straczynski, Dan Slott, Jason Aaron, Mark Wade, Rainbow Royal, uh, Rainbow Royal. I'll try and say that again. Uh, Steve McNiven and Armando Iannucci. 
uh, on writing. We have uh, Kerr Andrews, uh, Michael Allred, Alessandra Capuccio, Ryan Stegman, Jimmy McKelvey, Stephen McNiven and more on, uh, on art and a cover by Gary Frank. It's a celebration of the Marvel Age of Comics and you are invited, Alan. It's, I'm happy to be there. Yeah, indeed. This massive commemorative issue includes contributions from some of the most storied creators in Marvel history as well as a few surprises as the classic days of Marvel are explored in depth. Uh, the writers mentioned above depict a crucial turning point for Captain Marvel. Uh, Rainboy Rowell and uh, Jamie McKelvey explore the blossoming relationship between Cyclops and Jean Grey. The original Human Torch find his, finds his purpose thanks to Mark Wade and Alessandro, Alessandro Capuccio and Silver Surfer confronts Mephisto under the guidance of Steve McNiven and more, more, more. The ultimate Marvel value stamp, number 1000. Who or what will it feature? Um, 96 page one shot. Nice to see uh, Dan Slott and Michael Allred working together again after their phenomenal Silver Surfer run. Uh-huh, well, there you go. Um, and, oh, it doesn't say that they're not on. Uh, they're not together. No, no. no. Just there. Dan Slott and Michael Allred depict a crucial turning point. Oh, yes, sorry, you're right. Sorry, sorry. what I meant to say is they're not on Silver Surfer. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so, moving on to a little more supernatural street-level Marvel. Uh, we had, and this is probably my, my pick of the book, uh, this month is Blade Number no. One by Brian Hill with art by Elena Casagrande. Uh, we've got a variant cover by Frank Miller, Virgin variant by Frank Miller, Marvel Icon variant by Stefano Caselli, a variant cover by Kara Andrews, variant cover by David Marquez, loads more variant covers. I'm not going to tell you any more about them. Um, so uh, Elena Casagrande is uh, one of Marvel's Stormbreakers uh, this time around. And we have Marvel's Slickest Vampire Hunter returns in a brand new ongoing, ongoing. by Brian Hill, uh, lately of Killmonger, and Elena Casagrande, lately of Black Widow. True evil is patient, and a dark, ancient power has been simmering quietly for centuries. And when Blade himself is the one to unknowingly unleash it, Marvel's entire supernatural underworld will come out of hiding to demand he handle it, or pay a pound of flesh for his mistakes. Bloodbaths, blackmail, and Blade. You won't uh, want to miss the explosive first issue of this new volume. Uh, parental advisory, 40 pages. Um, great to see. Um, Blade of late hasn't lasted terribly long no. in an ongoing series, but uh, it's it's great to see them try. Someone said to me that Blade ongoings never go past 10 issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Tomb of Dracula and different things, but yeah, with his particular name on them, yeah, uh, they don't necessarily uh, go for too long. Uh, which is sad because he's such a great character and he's been doing he's been great in uh, Some Avengers, in Avengers yeah uh, he's the the sheriff of the vampire nation in, uh, in Chernobyl um, that's going to be paired with I'll just nip to the back of the book keep well, the thing going uh, that's going to be paired with uh, a Blade the early years omnibus hardcover uh, which is uh, a chunky baby 472 pages of apparently parent advisory goodness uh, with a hard cover written by Marv Wolfman along with Chris Claremont Steve Gerber Roger Stern and Mark McLaurin and penciled by Gene Colan with uh, Tony D'Azuga uh, Rico Rival P. Craig Russell Dan Green uh, Steve Lealoha and Malcolm Davis um, so this is uh, it says Blade hits uh, hit the comic scene in the 1970s a time when horror movies were all the rage and black cinema was introducing bold new action heroes who defied authority. Blade immediately changed the stakes for Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan's Tomb of Dracula, uh, bringing a, a sense of unstoppable determination as he pursued Deacon Frost, the vampire who killed his mother. And if a few other vampires died along the way, all the better. 
This omnibus collects, for the first time, Blade's complete early adventures from his influential role in Tomb of Dracula in his 1970s solo stories and his climatic battle against Dracula alongside Doctor Strange. Collects um, a whole load of issues, um, <laughs> including Tomb of Dracula, uh, Marvel Preview, Fear, Doctor Strange, Tomb of Dracula, uh, latterly of 1972, Vampire Tales, uh, Marvel Comic Presents stuff. So, yeah, that looks that looks lovely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think part of the reason you're seeing Blade coming back here is because some of the street level stuff's been doing very, very well for Marvel recently, you know, and, and you know, Ghost Rider by Benjamin Percy's been fantastic. Uh, Moon Knight by Jed McKay has been pretty damn great as well. And speaking of Moon Knight, uh, we had men- uh, Keith had mentioned in the intro that he was getting a spin-off series, so that's the thing. Moon Knight's another one that hasn't had always had long runs of no, of no. comics, and but the f- Jed McKay's current run is bloody phenomenal. Yeah, and it's it's been the same, pretty much the same artist all the way through as well, Alessandro Capuccio, mm-hmm. uh, which is great to see. So there's a, a issue twenty five is an oversized issue, first of all. For Moon Knight, but I also did see on Twitter that Jim McKay said 25 is not the end of his run. People are obviously speculating. Spin out series. <laughs> it was one of those don't panic tweets. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but what we're getting is a, a spin-off series, which is going to be a five-issue mini-series called Moon Knight City of the Dead. And this is spinning out directly out of Moon Knight 25. Following the events of Moon Knight 25. Uh-huh. So David Pipos is the writer. Marcello Ferreira on art cover by Rod Rice. David Pipos did fantastic work on the recent Savage Avengers series. You know, I've seen the, well, just as you say, him. I've seen the Savage Avengers omnibus and I've been tempted by it, but it's the Jerry Dugan yeah, starting yeah, in. Yeah. I think David proposed to go over it. He did, yeah. But uh, yeah, this is the debut of the new Scarlet Scarab. So following the events of Midnight 25, when a young runaway is attacked by a gang of death cultists, he is left barely alive outside the Midnight Mission. But Mark Spector made a vow long ago to defend the Travellers of the Night, and as long as a spark of life remains... His mission isn't over yet. Follow Moon Knight on his most harrowing adventure yet, as the Fist of Khonshu journeys far beyond the land of the living and battles across the mind-bending underworld known as the City of the Dead. So, as I say, it's nice to see Marvel going in these directions. Obviously, they've got tons of, you know, traditional superhero stuff, your Spider-Man, your Fantastic Four, etc., etc. But it's great to see Doctor Strange in an ongoing at the moment with Jed McKay. You've got... Moon Knight on an ongoing, Ghost Rider on an ongoing, Blade coming back. I, I really like seeing this other side of the Marvel Universe, so mm. long may those type of books um, continue. And yeah, it is worth mentioning that, uh, I mean, Scarlet Scarab is, has, is the name of a, a number of characters uh, in the Marvel, in Marvel Comics. Uh, a character that appeared in Invaders, a character that appeared in uh, Thor, but most recently, the Scarlet Scarab was the... the um, the alias that Layla took on in uh, in the Moon Knight TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an absolutely class character. I don't want to offend you when I say it, but she put Wonder Woman to shame, uh, in the <laughs> in the in the in the cinematic uh, way of, way of thinking. She was a total badass. So as we mentioned in the introduction, this will be her moving into or or that character moving into um into the, 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 the MCU. Yeah, so very very cool. Yeah, and I mean, continuing the dark theme as well, Marvel is doing a little bit of a twist on a traditional banner this month as well. Marvel have long maintained a, uh, a series banner called What If, which, you know, dealt with all kinds of stuff, you know. What if 
you know, <laughs> yeah, the Punisher's family had survived. What if Uncle Ben hadn't have died? And they tend to take the form of one shot stories. But what they're doing this month is, you know, fitting in with the theme of what I'm talking about as well, is uh, What If Dark, um, which is interesting because you said this is a strange title because most What If stories are dark anyway. Yeah, there's a darkness about them, so yeah, very uh, yeah, very, very odd. Yeah, but anyway, so What If Dark, it's uh, going to be headlined this month by two individual one-shots. There's What If Dark Spider-Gwen and What If Dark Loki. So Dark uh, Spider-Gwen number one is Jerry Conway and Jodie Hauser writing, Raymond Bax on art. Uh, Spider-Legend Jerry Conway returns to his most famous spider story for this What If, along with co-writer Jodie Hauser. What if Gwen Stacy didn't die on the bridge that day? Ah. But Spider-Man did. Enough said, I presume. And then for Loki, we have Walter Simonson returns to his illustrious run on Thor, but this time, Loki's in charge. A tale of one of Asgard's worst days and one of Loki's best. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, as I say, very much following in the uh, footsteps of the, the darker side of the Marvel Universe this month. I mean, DC are doing night terrors with all the horror stuff, Marvel embracing the darkness as yeah, well. they haven't realised the summer. I know, I'm yeah, telling you. Absolutely. So, uh, another uh, greatly anticipated title uh, for myself and other ex-fans, uh, it's become an annual event mm-hmm. uh, over the last three years. That is the Hellfire Gala, uh, which came along with uh, with Jonathan Hickman's uh, Krakoan era as the, uh, as the, the mutants of Krakoa opened their island to uh, invited guests and put on the, the, greatest, of, uh, the greatest of parties. Uh, and uh, a lot of Marvel artists have taken to designing the costumes of the, the characters that they, they attend and whatnot. Um, I can't remember last year. I can't remember previous years if there has been an actual Hellfire Gala issue. Yeah, there's always there, been a one shot. Because I know last year we had Jack. Was it Giant Size X Men? Yeah, I'm uh, or Planet Size X Men. Planet Size X Men. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm nearly sure Hellfire Gala is is an annual thing. Now there's people who have it on their pull list that uh, they just say anytime a new Hellfire Gala issue comes out. Yeah, just uh, let us know about it. Absolutely. Um, well, this one is uh, the X Men Hellfire Gala 2023 number one. Uh, by the series writer Jerry Dugan, uh, art uh, by variously Chris Anka, Joshua Cassara, uh, good buddy of ours, Russell Dutterman, Andy Kubert, Pepe Larraz, R.B. Silva, Luciana Vecchio, and more, covered by Phil Noto, Load of Variants. Um, the fall of X begins here. The Hellfire Gala is always the biggest event of the season, but this year's will change everything for Krakoa. What is meant to be Mutant Kind's biggest night becomes their biggest nightmare as the fall of X begins. I like what they did there. Biggest night, biggest <laughs> nightmare. All of your favourite X-Men are going to be left reeling after this one. Shocking revelations, stunning betrayals, horrifying tragedy, impossible deaths, and of course, the most glamorous looks of the year. All in one cannot miss package. Yeah, you had Hellfire Gala. It started in 2021. Remember, it was like a 12-issue miniseries. Almost, it was like you saw... Oh, yeah, crossed over the various... Oh, the yeah. various X titles. Yeah, so you yeah. basically saw the Hellfire Gala from different perspectives. That's right. That's but then right. last year, there was the one shot, which was Hellfire Gala 2022. And then Planet Size X-Men. And Planet Size X-Men. It was quite funny. I was listening to or reading something, uh, an interview with Jerry Dugan, and he pretty much said last year, the Hellfire Gala... Uh, issue was a distraction mm-hmm. so that people wouldn't expect what was coming Planet Size, Size X-Men so uh, <laughs> cleverly done yeah very very cool um, but sticking uh, in the X corner of the universe um, over the past few months we've had a variety of before the fall issues mm-hmm. so these are uh, issues that seem to be leading up to what will be uh, become the, 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 the fall so this one is uh, by 
Kieran Gillen, uh, the mastermind behind uh, the the recent uh, Sins of Sinister uh, and a variety and uh, uh, Immortal X Men and Immortal X Men and so forth. So, uh, Kieran Gillen uh, on uh, X Men Before the Fall, Sinister Four, number one, art by uh, Paco, Paco Medina. Um, Fall of X is coming as the nineteenth century draws to a close. The dying Nathaniel Exley Essex, the man who we know as. Come on now. Mr. Sinister. That's the boy. Uh, <laughs> unleashed four clones of himself into the world. They've been hunting it ever since while lurking in the shadows. We know that Sin- what Sinister has been up to. What about the others? In this issue, we delve into their past and discover their latest atrocity uh, when they start to date. <laughs> Do you not think that that looks like uh, Jeff Bridges in the middle of that art? Yes, that particular Sinister does. We, we I think, have met all these Sinisters, mm-hmm. or most of them now, at... Uh, at one point or other, um, uh, yeah, I think I think we have at this stage uh, met all of them, uh, you know, throughout uh, Sins of Sinister or or a little before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, kind of uh, kind of interesting. Uh, I'll be picking that one up, and that is a uh, that is a forty page one shot. Yeah, as you say, they're all falling under that banner of uh, Fall of X. So bunch of one shots expected over the next couple of months as you say leading up to no doubt a big end of year event i would say mm-hmm. uh yeah one thing we just noticed this month uh, with venom uh venom so far has been a combination of al yoon and ram v then ram said he was stepping away and al yoon was going to take on the title on his own uh we've got issue 22 solicited in here which that is the case but we see venom 23 has a friend of the podcast torin grombeck taking over and Ken Lashley on art. Now, we must confess, we're not 100% sure if this will be a fill-in issue, if this is the start of uh, a story arc for Torin. Torin's been sort of in and around the Marvel Universe for the last couple of years. You know, she's been doing great stuff with Jane Foster, Jane Foster, the Mighty Thor, the Mighty Valkyrie, stuff like that. Uh, She recently took over Thor, the main title, uh, as Donny Cates took a, a, a step back from that. So you're starting to see her more and more, and the fact that she's now on to Venom as well, and we'll be talking about her again when we get into the indie previews book as well, but her stuff's always great, but as I say, we do wonder if this is going to be a jumping on point, Venom 23, so written by Torin with art by Ken Lashley. Uh, a new vision of Toxin. Toxin is the offspring of the most dangerous symbiote in the history of the Marvel Universe, Carnage. But while Carnage and Cletus Cassidy are separate and both devising machinations and plans of cosmic bloodshed and conquest, what has its progeny been doing? And will Dylan Brock or the Venom symbiote survive when they come face to face with this latest terrifying toxin? Plus, Toxin isn't the only symbiote in the story who's unlike anything you've ever seen. The symbiote family is about to grow a little larger and what's coming will change the continuing saga of the symbiotes forever <laughs> how many times will we see that in a dc or a marvel solicitation more marvel i think i think marvel are bigger with a hyperbole uh, it just it's very reminiscent yeah. of stan, uh, stan well, very very much so very much so but uh i mean i think they're all they're all sort of guilty of it uh, oh without a doubt both companies do it it just it, it's easy to imagine stanley saying it. yeah oh yeah maybe that's absolutely 100 100 uh one that is worth mentioning it's a little out of the ordinary it's a thor annual number one uh, by, uh, we said we would mention them again, Jackson Lansing <laughs> and Colin Kelly with art by Ibrahim uh, Robertson. Uh, there's an Adam Kubert cover in this. Um, it says, Enter Mythos. When Modoc, 
uh, fueled by revenge and a refusal to ever again be someone else's pawn, seizes control of all of the Ten Realms, but Asgard, Thor the Allfather, must step in and regain control of the Ten Realms and the World Tree. But Modok's new cosmic power proves to be a greater threat than Thor could imagine, and he'll need the inspiration of some beloved friends from Midgard to reclaim his realms and his awesome power. It's a 40-page one-shot, but... Uh, Lansing and Kelly are on it, so uh, so am I. Well, we do sort of wonder with that, will they be taking over Thor, perhaps? Because Thor has been, as I said, started off as Donny Cates and Nick Klein, and then Torrens come in to do some issues, and uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, sometimes annuals are completely devoid from the main title, mm-hmm. and they're just cool one-shot sort of storylines that people can get into, uh, but other times it's, it's almost setting the table for the new creators who are coming in, so uh, we shall wait and see. But just a couple of things to finish off from the graphic novel front. First of all, is a new printing for one of the best of Marvel runs of all time. Copyright Alan Taylor's opinion. <laughs> uh, which is Hawkeye by Fraction and Aja, the omnibus hardcover. Of course, this was the basis for the Hawkeye TV show. But, you know, I, I've told this story many times. This was, this was one of the single issue runs that got me into Marvel reading, you know, back at a time. Matt Fraction was on Hawkeye, Mark Wade was on Daredevil, Dan Slott was on Silver Surfer. I'm sure you can probably find that little excerpt about a hundred times in this podcast in previous episodes. But yeah, this this run really was something special. So it's been reprinted in omnibus form, 552 pages of goodness. Hardcover. Hardcover, traditional omnibus format. It does come with a DM cover by Jim Chang as well, but personally you can't beat the original David Aja's style. So Matt Fraction and David Aja's critically acclaimed run in single sharpshooting volume. With Young Avenger Kit Bishop by his side, Clint Barton continues his fight for justice and good rooftop barbecues. He's hoping for some downtime from being one of our smeddiest heroes, but when the apartment building he's moved into uh, and the neighbours he's befriended are threatened by a tracksuit-wearing, dog-abusing gang of Eastern European mobsters who say, Bro, an awful lot. <laughs> the tracksuit bros. Oh, the tracksuit bros. <laughs> Clint must stand up and defend his new adopted family any way he can. It's Hawkeye, Kitty Kit, Pizza Dog and Friends Against the Clown, Madame Mask, the tracksuit Dracula is a more a fantastic Eisner award winning reinvention of the Arrow Avenger. Bro, you read this book? Okay, bro. Uh, <laughs> collecting Hawkeye 1-22 and Annual and Young Avengers Presents number 6. That is the same as the recent uh, the Ballad of the, the Ballad of Bishop and Barton? Bishop, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it was a traditional sort of it was almost like a compendium type yeah, style, it was wasn't TV, it? It was yeah, trade yeah, paperback. Yeah. This is a hardcover, slightly uh, larger pages, so the art can sing a little bit more. But whatever format you collected it, it yeah. is genuinely just oh, an essential. Phenomenal. Essential. But the last thing I wanted to finish on was because we have a, a section dedicated to these in the store, and I'm actually going to be moving it in the next week or two and making the section a little bigger. It's something Marvel do really well called Epic Collections, which are always full-color reprints of classic stories from yesteryear now epic collections they tend to focus on the 60s the 70s the 80s maybe as far as the 90s uh for example you'll see in here you know avengers volume 5 which covers issues 77 to 97 so it's going to be late 60s um but marvel are starting a new imprint for epic collections which are called epic collections uh the modern era oh cool so what they're going to be doing is focus on stuff from the 2000s 2010s that kind of thing now the cool thing is the front cover design is slightly different. This is just for you OCD people like ourselves. <laughs> You'll see that the uh, front cover is slightly different. So Epic Collection runs across the top of the traditional yes. stuff, but it's going to run down the spine. Uh-huh. But the spines are the same. This is, makes me very happy. Yeah, for now. For now. 
don't don't curse it. Well, I'm just. I mean, if you look here, if you look here right here, you can see I have a lot of Marvel Essential collections. And uh... well, essential, essential and Epic are different. Though. Yeah, yeah, I know. Essential are black and white. But copies. I'm sure whatever they started, they thought the spines were all going to be the same too. Yeah, well, that's fair. But yeah, so for the modern era Epic collections, there's a couple in here that I just thought were worth mentioning, just to, because sometimes, like the older comics, some people don't want to read them. Some people love seeing where it all came from. Some people maybe do just like to stick to modern comics, but you've got some cool stuff in here. So you've got the New Avengers Modern Era Epic Collection. Uh, this is a New Avengers run written by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, <coughs> penciled by David Finch, Dave McNiven and more. So this collects Avengers 500 to 503, as well as uh, Avengers Finale, New Avengers, which was 2004, 1 to 10 and Director's Cut and all that kind of good stuff. You've got a Venom Modern Era Epic Collection, uh, which covers some stuff from Amazing Spider-Man, uh, from This Is America Has a New Hero, Flash Thompson is Spider-Man's biggest fan, mm -hmm. that inspired him to join the army. So this is your Agent Venom stuff. For, yes, that's right. I believe right. that was uh, Rick Remender, Tony Murray. Yeah, I think Rob. so, yeah. Yep, so written by Dan Slott, Rick Remender, Rob Williams, Pence by Alberto Ramos, Tony Moore, and more. And then you've also got a couple of Loki ones, Journey into Mystery stuff. Oh, that's the Kieran Gillen Loki stuff. Yeah, so you've got, first of all, Everything Burns, uh, which covers Journey into Mystery 637 to 645, and some New Mutants issues, mm -hmm. and some Mighty Thor issues. And then you've got Journey into Mystery, which is Volume 1, so this is the very start of it. Oh, those would be worth picking up. Yeah, so that's uh, Siege, Loki, and Journey into Mystery 622 to 636. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just nice to see them embrace their modern history, as well as their traditional history as well, with those new additions. Mm -hmm. I think there was some in last month's book, which showed... Um, the uh, origin for Spider-Gwen, one that was the origin for Miles Morales, uh -huh. uh, those types of characters. So, yeah, good to see those coming to the fore. So that is the Marvel book. That is the DC book. That brings us, of course, to the big indie bad boy. Mm -hmm. And we're kicking off big this month uh, with Image Comics and Big Game, which is... So secretive that it is uh, cover A is censored, uh, cover B is censored, cover E is to be announced, cover F is to be announced, but the reason we're bringing this up is it is a Mark Miller book. Uh, I'm not even, the art looks like, oh yeah, art's going to be Pepe Larraz, and this is uh, this is actually an image comics event, so to speak, in that... Cover C, the forbidden cover by artist undisclosed. <laughs> Blank sketch variants, the only one thing going to detail. But uh, yeah, this is uh, defined as the comic event of the summer is here. Okay, this is so top secret, we can't even show you the main cover because it spoils something massive. Just trust us when we say this is going to be the comic book event of 2023 and it's not what you're expecting. Does the crossover really go that wide? Yes, it does. Big Game pulls together Kick-Ass, Kingsman, Nemesis, The Magic Order, and all the Miller World franchises into one special event. All this of them. All of them. This Ooh. event must be ordered like crazy. One of the most anticipated, explosive crossover events of the season. Preview art looks great. You can see someone riding on a laptop, and you can see those uh, Mark Miller characters in the background. You know, you can see the Chrononauts, who were the time travelers. You can see Kickass oh, there. Well, Mark Miller put himself into a comic. Oh, well, I guess we will soon see. But thankfully, that doesn't look like Mark Miller there. Uh, th those are the ambassadors. That's a, a more recent series. You've got um, Starlight there. I can see as well. So, suffice to say. There are certain comics that when Keith and I look at it, we're like, these are aimed directly at us. 
This is aimed directly at Vicky, if ever anything was. <laughs> she has collected every Mark Miller series ever since he went independent. So I know she'll uh, she'll very much look forward I think to this that. Is a, this is a big one for Stuart as well. Yeah, so that's a big game and it's going to be a, a five-issue miniseries. Um, let me move us on uh, to uh, a book that is described as Stargate meets his dark materials in a new non-stop sci-fi action blockbuster. And that new... Non-stop sci-fi action blockbuster is Antarctica number one by Simon Burks, uh, with cover art and cover A by Willie Roberts and cover B by Lyndon White. Now these are creators that I am not just too familiar sure with, yeah. familiar with, but um, it's labelled a sci-fi crime mystery action adventure. Hannah's life imploded the day her father failed to return from the secretive Smith Peterson research station in Antarctica. Alone and on the street, she's at her lowest ebb when a friend offers to help. Retrains as an engineer, Hannah secures a job at the same Antarctic research station to search for her father and stumbles headfirst into a conspiracy that threatens everything she has ever believed. Huh. The cover's got echoes of die to me. Yeah, I think it's the it's the way it's sort of split in yeah. a in a in a in a sort of a fashion there. Um yeah, interesting. I mean, uh, Stargate certainly got me there. Uh Antarctica has that thing resonance that we both love. Um, so uh, yeah, um, yeah you, that, you're thinking about this one too? Yeah, I would say so. That's uh, as you say, you just mentioned the thing, so uh, that usually means that I will be involved with that. Um, but when it comes to the image stuff, this is definitely my pick for the image books. This is it's just got such a great premise. So, this is called Swan Songs, it's a mini series uh, written by W. Maxwell Prince. He's very well known for Ice Cream Man, uh, for Ha Ha, which was another great anthology book I enjoyed. Art for this issue is Martin Simmons, Ooh. of course known for Department of Truth. But what's cool about this, it's going to have a rotating slate of artists because each individual issue is going to be a one-shot. Now the idea is, so it's called Swan Songs. The idea is that uh, W. Maxwell Prince continues his weird winning one-shot formula with this all-new multi-artist project that explores the way things end. And also how they never really do. Swan Songs comprises stories about endings. The end of the world, the end of a marriage, the end of a sentence, the end of the end of the world, which I suppose one might consider the beginning of a new world. And along for the terminal ride are some of comics' best and brightest artists. The first apocalyptic issue, The End of the World, is drawn by none other than Martin Simmons. Future artists for future endings include Casper Weingard and Felipe Andrade, with more to be announced. All things come to a close. These are the swan songs. Mm. So I just think the premise of that's great. You don't necessarily have to collect it all. You might see artists that you like in upcoming issues. You might want to just go for those. You may want to go for them all. But uh, do we know how many issues it is? Uh, I don't know. No, it's 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 kind of a unique premise in that it's I suppose it's a little bit like Silver Coin. Yeah. You know, it's always one shot stories, but whereas Silver Coin's always the same artist with different writers, this is the same writer but different, different artists. artists. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I think that is pretty cool. Uh, the next one I wanted to throw out there is the. Uh, compendium collection for certainly one of the best titles of the last few years that is none other than robert kirkman and lorenzo de felici's oblivion song 36 issue series now collected in a single volume now robert oh. kirkman is robert kirkman thinks about shelf porn uh -huh. he has to all of his omnibuses look the same they fit together nicely his walking dead issues fit together nicely mm -hmm. You know, Keith's looking over at his... Uh, invincible. Looking over at his Invincible stuff now, which he yep. was so gracious to lend me and let me <laughs> read it that way. I have now got my own collection. But uh, yeah, they're they're collecting all 36 issues into one oversized compendium. So it's going to carry a $50 price point. I mean, that's 
That's not bad. Fifty dollar for thirty six issues. Forty five pound, pound twenty five an issue. Yeah. There thereabouts. So the entire series collected in a single volume for the first time a decade ago. Three hundred thousand citizens of Philadelphia were suddenly lost in oblivion. The government made every attempt to recover them, but after many years, they gave up. Nathan Cole won't. He makes daily trips, risking his life to try and rescue those still living in the apocalyptic hellscape of oblivion. But maybe Nathan is looking for something else. Why can't he resist the siren call of the oblivion song? So that is, uh, as you would expect, a fantastic Robert Kirkman title because the man always puts out <laughs> fantastic comics, including something else this month. Oh, yeah. and I mean, I can't believe that you didn't initially have this on the list because Firepower by Kirkman and Samney is back. With number 25, the beginning of a new story arc, Firepower returns with an extra-length 44-page story after learning that Wailun killed his parents, Owen cannot let the past go. See, that's the other thing Kirkman's been great as. He's he's good at soliciting his titles to get you excited, but at the same time, he doesn't give away too many plot spoilers. He did it with Walking Dead. It used to be one sentence. Uh, Brian K. Vaughan does the same with uh, Saga as well. But yeah, it's definitely a month of returns for titles that we really, really enjoy. There's another title back this month called Newburn, which we're big fans of. Chip Zdarsky, Jacob Phillips, of course, son of Sean Phillips, but a ridiculously great artist in his own right. Does that Texas Blood, of course, with Chris Condon, which you may have heard us talk about oh. once or twice. Oh. But Newburn is another crime drama written by Chip Zdarsky. So the first story arc was actually eight issues. So it's collected in a trade paperback. Uh, it's always available now. Uh, so issue nine is the start of a new story arc. When Newburn is asked to investigate a missing mafioso, Emily begins to wonder how far he's willing to go for his work and to protect himself. Plus the beginning of Go Back, a thrilling backup story from acclaimed artist Nick Dracota, East of, who did East of West, mm -hmm. and writer David Brothers, who did Good Devils. And despite having a backup story and being oversized, it sticks with being a lovely $4 comic. Brilliant. Well, we've already talked about Swan Songs. Uh, I'd like to finish our image section by talking about a few other Swan Songs. Uh, first of all, worth noting that uh, Noctera 16 is the end of a story arc. That's uh, Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniels' uh, fantastic uh, story about a world gone dark and the people that try and exist there. Um, so this is uh, the end of Noctera's latest story arc. 13 years ago, the sun set and never returned. Now with the forces of darkness staring them down, it's up to Val, M, and the ferryman to save humankind from total blackout. Noctera's latest arc comes to a stunning conclusion in a no-holds-barred showdown. And I, I don't know how much longer this can go. They're just ramping up and ramping up, as it were. You yeah, know? it seems that way, doesn't it? Um, another, uh, another ending. Uh, we have the end of a story arc. Uh, for uh, Declan Shelby's exciting new uh, action series, which is concluding its first chapter with issue six. After suffering a massive loss, we learn a stunning revelation. Jack is questioning his place in the Black Circle, looking to lick his wounds and seeks refuge at the Lynch ancestral home in Ireland. Uh, but his isolation is soon interrupted when Retriever tracks him down and she wasn't the only one. So uh, we've got the end of the first arc of uh of Declan's uh old dog with number six and more than that we have the beginning of the end of Declan's uh and Rory McConville's Time Before Time with number 25 it's a crime mystery science fiction series uh all about time travel and uh, while masked vigil while a masked vigilante stalks the syndicate Marsden finds himself finds himself on the verge of achieving his ultimate goal the final arc the final arc of the hit time travel series begins uh, 
with art by Geoffo uh, from Burnouts and Future State Gotham. So that is issue 25 and that's the beginning of the last arc. So I guess that'll be finishing with what, 30 or 31? 30, I would have a guess at it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always been six, well, sort of five issue arcs, hasn't it? And then there's been one shots along the way that uh, are not collected in the trades, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, I was curious to see how long time before time is going to go on for because I know their original artist, Joe Palmer, had to leave. Well, not didn't have to leave the series, but I think he got... Uh, headhunted for another um another series and then they've had a bit of a rotating artists uh lineup thus far so yeah but that's that's sort of been the game hasn't it yeah uh, you know uh, from one but yeah but uh, yeah 30 issues for an independent series is pretty impressive and it's there you're talking five volumes or two nice hardcovers at the end i mean these are the other things that they do think about yeah i mean i i've, I've been loving time before time uh i mean i'm, I'm enjoying old dog but I'm really, I'm really enjoying Time Before Time. It's further in. I've got more attachment to the characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's very cool, very cool series. That's because Deck only has the right Time Before Time, as opposed to write and pencil and ink <laughs> and color and do covers and what was he he said? But you know, excuse my French. Fuck lettering. Someone else can do that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that uh, that brings then to Image Comics, which transports us over to AWA Comics, and again one of my most anticipated titles this month, and that is because it is a murderer's row of talent on this. Uh, Garth Ennis, of course, has worked before with Jason Burroughs, primarily on Punisher stuff. I believe Punisher Soviet. Uh, I would I would pull out uh, Chronicles of Wormwood. Chronicles uh, of as Wormwood. Well, fantastic series, which you very sacrilegious. Yeah, I haven't read it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will make a, a point of it at some point. But yeah, no, they've done... I think they did some other stuff for Avatar Press as well. I think well, they, 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 was Jason Burroughs involved with Crossed? Crossed, yeah. I think, yeah. And, and I mean, Crossed is a step too far for me. But uh, but yeah, no, they're reuniting for an eight-issue miniseries uh, through AWA Comics called The Ribbon Queen. That looks like a Declan Shelby cover. That really. is exactly a Declan... I mean, it's a seamless transition. That's seamless. You know? Seamless, almost like we planned this. <laughs> so written by Garth Ennis, penciled by Jason Burroughs, uh, and then, yeah, covered by Declan Shelby, and then you've got some other variant covers as well. But, uh, yeah, eight issues. There was something ancient and terrible loose in the world of men. NYPD detective Amy Sun has a problem. Three years ago, a young woman was rescued from a serial killer by a police tactical unit. Now she's dead, and Amy has a bad feeling one that SWAT uh, sorry has a bad feeling one that the SWAT team leader is responsible. As she investigates the corrupt cabal within her own precinct, Detective Sun soon discovers that there is something else on their trail. A force of vengeance older than the human race itself has awoken and is out for blood of the guilty. Who soon find themselves suffering a fate more gruesome than anything they could have ever dreamed. The Ribbon Queen has come to New York City, and Amy is not at all certain that it should be stopped. So, yeah, I think that looks pretty damn impressive. I do love me some AWA stuff. Uh, we move away from AWA and onto Boom Studios. A couple of titles that stood out this month. Uh, one is called Sarens of the City. This is a six-issue miniseries. This is written by Joanne Sterer. Now, this is a, a, a writer you might not be too familiar with. But she's currently writing a wrestling comic for Ahoy Comics, which is very good, called The Gimmick. So obviously with wrestling, you know, a wrestler will have a gimmick. The million dollar man is rich, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The gimmick is all about a guy who hits really, really hard. But the problem is he's actually a superhero uh, and he can't control how hard he hits people uh, sometimes. So he, he loses his temper in the ring, kills someone, then has to go on the run. Yeah, I see. But it's a really, really good series. And so Joanne Stair is writing this one, Sirens of the City, with art by Carrie Randolph, who you excellence. may know from Excellence. Yes. Exactly. So for this one, it's a brand new, powerfully topical 
Urban Fantasy, Keith. Hello, hello. For fans of Black Cloak and Chroma, New York City, 1980s runaway teen Lila struggles to survive on the mean streets far from home. But now every supernatural creature from the darkest corners of urban grime is after Lila and the child-to-be she never wanted growing inside her. This gritty urban fantasy created by Joan Starr and Excellence's Carrie Randolph takes on the topic of bodily autonomy in a patriarchal world. Interesting. Uh, and the other Boom Studios one, just to point out, I mean, I have to admit, I checked out of the series a little while back, uh, but it's been a big hit for Boom Comics and we do have loads of people who do follow it and enjoy it, which is Berserker. Now... Berserker's finished after 12 issues, but clearly they want to mine this just a little bit more. Uh, so they're going to release a series of one-shots. Now, fair warning, first of all, these one-shots are $10. They're big bad boys, 56 pages. But uh, if you were on Berserker with us, you'll have to let me know if you want these one-shots because Berserker, the main series, finished. I took it off everybody's pull lists. But the first one is uh, written by Steve Scrooge, uh, who also draws it. So admittedly, that is a big selling point. Big yeah, fan of his. Absolutely, he's a bit of a bit of a legend across the industry. Very much so. Very much so. So, Kenny Reeves, Immortal Warrior, meets Eldritch Horror in the first Berserker one-shot adventure. A sea of gore and devastation awaits as B through a fateful chance encounter safeguards the advanced and ancient realm of Atlantis as its unstoppable protector. But a sickly king serves as a symbol for the rot inside as the security and bliss created through B's violence is shallow. The cracks created by a secret cult might spell a monstrous end for the legendary city, one beyond even B's ability to save. Renowned filmmaker and record-shattering comic creator Kenny Reeves joins acclaimed writer and artist Steve Scrooge for a one-shot special the fans of Lovecraftian horror would be mad to miss. They may have actually pulled you in, Keith, I'm afraid. <laughs> They've used a lot of buzzwords yeah, there that you they like. They certainly have used a, a few of my, uh, a few of my, uh, my, my words there. <laughs> Eldritch, Lovecraftian horror. Uh, but moving far away from that. And on to other buzzwords. Absolutely. Uh, this one sort of came out of uh, left field a wee bit. Uh, surprised me. It's uh, from IDW Comics. Uh, and I'm going to take you on a little tour of IDW Comics here for the next few minutes. Nice. Uh, but this is The Rocketeer uh, in The Den of Thieves number one. So I'm obviously a huge fan of pulpy goodness. I'm especially a big fan of pulpy goodness whenever Stephen Mooney uh, of, uh, of this parish uh, does it. Uh, and uh, So he came off uh, Rocketeer The Great Race. Uh, and is uh, is is continuing where he where he left off. I'm really really glad to see art is by uh, David Messina. The Rocketeer is grounded after Cliff and Betty's adventures in Europe, uh, that has chronicled in uh, the Great Race with Cliff losing the Great Race but saving the day. He and Betty return home with a busted jetpack and a fully repaired relationship. They're as happy as they've ever been, but paradise doesn't last long. An elite band of Nazis foiled in the past. Uh, by their attempts to construct their own jetpacks, decide on a new tactic, kidnapping the only person who can enable them to create their very own fleet of rocketeers, Cliff's beloved friend and mentor and engineer, PV. Uh, this is an all-ages book, 36 pages. Uh, there are a couple of covers, Rodriguez cover, Messina cover, and a sketch cover. Uh, really looking forward to this. Uh, I always enjoy the rocketeer stuff, and that last one by, by Stephen Mooney was, uh, was phenomenal. Yeah, great race, a lot of fun. Um, I'm pleased to say we have a Star Trek corner now. Uh, there was a long time there that we didn't. Um, Picard season three finished off with great aplomb uh, on Friday. Uh, I was heading down to Galway on Friday morning 
getting the train at half ten, so I got up at half seven to make sure I had time to watch Picard before I get, before I got on the route. Priorities. Oh, it was the finale. I had to. So uh, once again, uh, Messrs. Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing uh, again are mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they are the writers for the core Star Trek book with art and cover art by Mike Fian. Uh, don't miss out on the lead up to the Day of Blood crossover event between Star Trek and Star Trek Defiant ongoing series. series, series. Lieutenant Shax receives visions from the Bajoran prophets. He sees his past and his future and he sees the trial of Benjamin Sisko. The crew of the Theseus uh, must fight their way back together after being separated across Cardassian space before the captain's fate is set in stone and Kalis can carry out his promise of more bloodshed. We also have, that's Star Trek number 10, mm-hmm. we also have Star Trek Defiant number 6 by Christopher Cantwell and Angel Unzueta. You may remember from the there the, the team that kicked off the classic seminal Iron Man run. I thought that was Kathy. Uh no, it was uh, Angel Enzoetta was may not have kicked it off, but certainly was He was there at the end. Was I think it was Kathy. I can't, I can't remember which was which which way around it went, but certainly they were both. Any involved. excuse to plug that series. Anyway. Uh, the crossover event between Star Trek and Star Trek Defiant continues here in part two of Day of Blood. Worf and Cisco begin uh oh, sorry, let me take you back here, sorry. Uh, uh, to Star Trek Day of Blood number one by Christopher Cantwell and Various with art by Roman Rosanus and cover art by Malik Award. Day of Blood starts here. Immortal Emperor of the Klingon Empire, Kalis II, has consolidated power, raided ancient tombs and secret bunkers, taken the power of gods for himself, stolen the Majoran Orb of Destruction and commenced a slaughter across the stars. But this genocide of gods was just the beginning. For with the power he has stolen, Kalis is about to declare war on all those who do not follow the Red Path. To prevent genocide, unlike any since the ancient days of Kronos, the crew of uh, icons led by the emissary known as Benjamin Sisko, uh, and the renegades that follow a desperate and violent wharf uh, must unite for a common cause. Only they can hope to stop the Day of Blood. So Cisco's crew is the Star Trek crew and uh, Worf's crew is the Star Trek Defiant crew. So then Star Trek Defiant number six by Cantwell and Angelina Zoeta uh, with cover art by Malik Ward is the second part of this crossover. Uh, so it continues in part two of Dead Blood. Worf and Cisco begin their trek to kill his aspire to stop the False Prophet's Siege of Kronos. Uh, with each other being the last man either wants to rely on. Meanwhile, Spock takes the bridge of the Theseus, reuniting with his old friend Captain Montgomery Scott and desperately attempting to keep the Red Path's blood wings at bay. So we have the the lead-up in Star Trek X. We have Part 1 in Star Trek Day of Blood and Part 2 in Star Trek Defiant Number 6. So what um, you're saying is if people are on the main Star Trek title... They would do well to jump on those other two. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, very very enjoyable stuff. Uh, Star Trek from uh, IDW Comics. So Star Trek Corner has basically <coughs> taken over Star Wars Corner. Then. Surely has, surely has. Would you say you're more of a Trekkie than a War? Oh, for sure, for certain. It, it I forgot for a little while. <laughs> I forgot for a little while. I mean, it's uh, because there was so much Star Star Wars stuff about, but uh, no, there's too much Star Wars stuff about. Potentially, and I mean they're very different. They're very different things. I mean, whenever you look at the R's in Star Trek, you know, so you've got you know so many episodes of the original series. You get uh, 178 of the Next Generation. Yeah. Similar of DS Nine and Voyager now, uh, now uh, Discovery, Picard, and uh, Strange New Worlds. I mean, those actors play those characters for a much greater length yeah. of time. You know, than any more depth yeah exactly much more depth of story and, and character I think and maybe this is uh, this is just me looking at it as an outsider because Star Trek's just never been my fandom but 
and maybe I'm wrong about this, but Star Trek fans also seem a lot less whinier than Star Wars fans. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think so. I would, I would say that that might be the case, but that's the nature of the franchise. Yeah, no, that's fair. So Star Trek Corner there for you. Oh, of course, Star Trek comics being printed by IDW. And that was for the uh, upcoming event day of blood. Uh, a graphic novel caught my eye, which is actually printed by a company called First Second Books. And this is one that I think will certainly interest Keith as well. Um, this is Homicide, the graphic novel, part one. This is going to be a two-part series. So Homicide, the celebrated true crime book from the creator of HBO's The Wire is re-envisioned in this first volume of a gritty cinematic graphic novel, Duology. In 1988, journalist David Simon was given unprecedented access to the Baltimore Police Department's homicide unit. Over the next 12 months, he shadowed detectives as they took on a slew of killings in a city where killings were common. Only the most heinous of cases stood out chief amongst them the rape and murder of an 11-year-old Latoya Wallace. Uh, originally published in 1991, Simon's Homicide became the basis for the acclaimed television show Homicide Life on the Streets and inspired HBO's The Wire. Now this true crime classic is reimagined as a gritty two-part graphic novel series. So this is written and drawn by Philippe Squarzoni, but of course also co-writing uh, co credits with David Simon who wrote the original book there as well. Okay. So, I mean, any excuse to have anything related to The Wire, yeah, right, Not one you've watched yet. Not one I've watched. Um, yeah, I think I think you should. Uh, I'm I'm trying to get caught up now. Homicide: Life in the Streets was a was a long running series, mm -hmm. and I don't think I have, I don't think I have the time for that. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, if you think about the corner, which was the the, the series that uh, was created before the wire, it was six parts. Um, you know, that looked at how uh, drugs affected a family, members of a family, or. Uh, the Deuce, uh, mm -hmm. which I think looked at the porn industry. Uh, all of these, the, all of these were written by by David Simon. Mm -hmm. uh, Treme, which was about uh, New Orleans post Hurricane Katrina. Um, so there's some some cool stuff out there. And then more recently, uh, We Own This City, uh, with uh, the guy. What do you call him? He played the Punisher and uh, Thomas Jane. Yeah, no, uh, in the TV series. Oh, um, yep. Oh, the name escapes me. He's. <laughs> He's Shane from The Walking Shane, Dead as well. Shane from The Walking Dead. <laughs> oh, the joys of having Google close by. Oh, God, the name escapes me. Hit me. Uh, um, uh, Shane Walsh is the character name, Keith. John Berenthal. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah. that. Uh, but, yeah, just I thought the graphic novel sounded really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a two-parter, Homicide the Graphic Novel. Moving away from there, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Where are we in the book, Alan? We have a dynamite section. Oof. Not just a dynamite title, a dynamite section. Damn you. And I lay the blame for this squarely at the feet of Torin once again. So Red Sonja is launching with a brand new number one. That's the 50th anniversary of Red Sonja. It's never been a character I've massively get into. You know, um, I do like my Conan the Barbarian stuff. I do like my uh, magic and myths type stuff. But just Red Sonja, just dynamite books in general I never get into. But that is about to change because with Red Sonja number one, Swords and Sorcery is coming from Torin Grombeck and art by Walter Giovanni. And not only that, but I mean, I'm going to have to buy multiple covers of this because oh. there are people doing covers for this that I have sections in my collection for. <laughs> there's Shannon Meyer, there's Jenny Frisson, uh, and that's before I even get into like Lucio Perillo, Brian Hitch, Jim Cheng. Kevin Eastman, like they're really going all out for this. People wonder why there's a paper shortage in uh -huh. the comics industry. It's yep. all down to dynamite. But anyway, I'm going to definitely be jumping on this, as I say. So following directly from the pages of Red Sonja, 
issue zero. That's another free comic book day issue. Okay. So again, you get a little taster of this. Uh, the She-Devil finds herself on the run, framed for murder with an unseen force tugging at the back of her mind. Join Sonia as she races to unravel the mystery of his master's voice. Written by Torin Grombeck and featuring art by Red, Sonia's superstar Walter Giovanni, this brand new series dives deep into Sonia's world, exploring the darkness of Haboria like never before. <coughs> and all this wrapped up in an amazing series of covers. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, some of the covers are fantastic. I mean, just like that Jenny first song cover. It's stunning. Some of them are a little racy. They are a little racy. They are very much Andy covers, and I dread to think how many covers he's going to ask me to order. <laughs> but um, I also like the Icon cover as well. That's a throwback to the classic oh, covers. Oh, very much, yeah. But there's even a lovely little interview with Torun in... Uh, in the the previews book and I mean I just love that her first words are to me Red Sonia is a delight <laughs> now Red Sonia is a violent person to say the least but if you've ever listened to our interview with Tora and if you haven't you should go to because she is just a really cool a really cool uh, creator and just tells some of the funniest stories yeah yeah but yeah Dynamite we have a corner because not only do we have Red Sonia we have an expansion, I believe, of something you're already on. Oh yeah, absolutely. As you know, uh, Gargoyles uh, got me. Uh, you know, whenever uh, whenever Dynamite started publishing about, uh, I suppose about three or four months ago now, um, and uh, and now they're releasing a Gargoyles mini series uh, called uh, Gargoyles Dark Ages: Journey Through Time as the Origins of the Gargoyles are Revealed, a debut mini series event from Gargoyles creator Greg Weissman and artist Drew Moss. Uh, so this is looking pretty good, uh, as mentioned, uh, Greg Weissman, Drew Moss, a whole raft, as is the want uh, of Dynamite, of, of, uh, of, Very of covers. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, a whole load of them, I'll not even go into it. There is a metal premium cover, and uh, that, that sounds very 90s, so, you know, <laughs> hard to beat that. But uh, this, uh, I think this spins out of the last issue of Gargoyles, I think it was issue 7 last month, where... We have the return of Demona, uh, who was uh, in the in the series, voiced by uh, Marina Sirtis or Deanna Troy from Star Trek: The Next Generation. I think I've told you before that the Gargoyles TV series was effectively an excuse Star to get Trek. all of the Star Trek: The Next Generation crew together again. <laughs> uh, in this brand new mini series, Gargoyles creator Greg Weissman and artist Drew Moss return to the lost era when humans and gargoyles lived in harmony, but in a world ruled by superstition and the sword, monsters come in all shapes and sizes. Forces of evil from outside and within are threatening to destroy this precarious peace with consequences that will reverberate down through the centuries and into the present day. Featuring high-quality cardstock on every cover, this limited series debuts with a special 24-page main story and every 40-page issue will include a new illustrated text story by Greg Weissman. The history of the Gargoyles begins here. Uh, so yeah, pretty uh, pretty interested in this. There is a fantastic... Uh, double page uh, interview with uh, Gargoyles creator Greg Weissman and Drew Moss um, but in addition to that uh, we also have uh, if you didn't jump on Gargoyles uh, as you should have and you can only blame yourself um, we have uh, the release of Gargoyles uh, here in Manhattan trade paperback I think they're releasing this in various forms there's also a hardcover and such and such but this creates this this collects the first six issues of the the Gargoyles mm -hmm. uh, series, so uh, a good jumping on point if uh, if you were interested in uh, in picking it up. Uh, it says the first collection of Gargoyles creator creator Greg Weissman's all new tales set in the world of his beloved animated show is finally here. 
collecting issues 1 to 6 of the acclaimed series written by Weissman and illustrator George Cambarius. Uh, Gargoyles here in Manhattan reintroduces the Manhattan clan, a Gargoyle family newly dedicated in their mission of defending humanity in modern day New York. But even though their commitment is strong, their bonds are about to be tested to the limit when nefarious factions from all across the world attempt to steal their rarest, most precious of possessions, an unhatched Gargoyle egg. Uh, to celebrate this historic publication, Dynamite is proud to present three special editions with covers by legendary original Gargoyles comic series artist Amanda Connor and new series cover artist David Nakayama and Jay Lee. So uh, there you are. Yeah, it's interesting to see them actually releasing them concurrently. Normally it's a case of we'll release the hardcover first and then down the line we'll do the trade paperback. So it's actually interesting to see them releasing both at the same time. Uh, and I like that there's also the uh, edition there if you'd like a signed edition oh. by Greg Weissman as well. Uh, so yeah, just a few more to finish off with them from a few of the smaller publishers. So uh, I think we talked before about Fair Square Comics, who were doing some pretty cool looking noir uh, books. Yeah, they, the last time we talked about them, I think, was it not last month, but the month before, they were uh, they were publishing a book by uh, Rondolfo Santulo, an art by Leandro Fernandez called Far South Crips, Pimps and Gauchos. Ah, so that was it, and what they're doing now is Noir at the Bar, Far South, The Great Union Score. So these basically seem to be one-shots, but I'm guessing that it's going to have uh, the Far South Bar as sort of a meeting point, as sort of a, a linking point between series. Um, so yeah, once again, written by Rodolfo Santulo and art by Leandro Fernandez, of course, well-known well for The uh -huh. Old Guard. Whatever the hell happens in the far south stays in the far south. Montoya's bar has seen it all. Everyone who lives in the area frequents it and those who don't won't take long to do so. Everyone's a regular. Scoundrels, prostitutes, thieves, truckers, bandits. There's wine and grappa to last for ages. Darkness is the only colour you see there. So when the police is looking for a culprit, they know where to knock first. <laughs> the hard-boiled brutal land of mobsters and gauchos continues to unfold as best-selling international author Rodolfo Santulo and the old guard superstar artist Leandro Fernandez present a new set of blood-soaked noir tales, a must-read for fans of gritty crime fiction. So once again, this is going to be prestige format. I do wonder if that is silly size, but I don't think it is because based on the... The preview sort of cover art, it looks like it's a traditional comic size. Just might be prestige format is square bound, similar to like how uh, Batman 3 Jokers was or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, another one that really floats my boat this month. I mean, that really floats my boat. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm grabbing the first one. Uh, although I still have to get my... Uh I still have to get my I mean, I'm waiting in your last two months of previews. <laughs> I know you Keith, are. You know I, know, I, mean? I know. I've been busy, Alan. How busy. dare you work? <laughs> <laughs> but this will be on it, and, and that will be on it. And this will definitely be on it, I have no doubt, because of your love of wrestling. Um, <laughs> Sourcepoint Press have been doing some wrestling books recently, which have been really, really cool. They did one for Tony Schiavone, who's a well-known commentator, uh, currently for AEW, but he was through WWE and through WCW back in the 90s and 2000s well they're doing another great one and this is written by the same guy Dirk Manning uh, and art is by Colm Griffin and Sean Daly and it's co-written by the one of the greatest wrestlers of all time himself Arn Anderson so the preview for this it's a 132 page original graphic novel full color 
your favorite professional wrestler's favorite professional wrestler is most likely Arn Anderson. Find out how this legendary performer went from being raised by his grandparents in rural Georgia to founding the Four Horsemen and beyond. You'll laugh, you'll cry and you'll feel the impact of the first ever Spinebuster as you're taken through Arn's journey that forever changed the worlds of wrestling and pop culture alike. I mean this is the, the reason we do deep dives into the previews books because I didn't even know this is going to exist and source point press is, is uh starting to pump out some really interesting stuff so uh very much looking forward to that i already have a couple of pre-orders for that oh believe it or not from the usual suspects from the usual suspects but we're going to finish off this uh podcast with a look at titan comics and another one of the most anticipated versions this or titles this month and another one I'm going to struggle to choose what cover I want for issue one because they all look great. I am very proud. I'm very proud that uh, that you're going ahead and uh, and uh, reading out this solicitation given that it was uh, <laughs> myself and Roddy who introduced you to the... You did. The, uh, so feel, feel like uh, feel like proud daddies. Roddy Aww. and I were out at a, out at a, at a, at a show last night and I should have mentioned this to him. <laughs> well, of course, that would be Conan the Barbarian. So Conan, of course, as Keith alludes to, it was at the home of Marvel for the last sort of five or six years. Jason Aaron wrote a fantastic run on it, ran for 25 issues. There was a side um, volume as well called Savage Sword of Conan, which first of all I think was written by Jerry Dugan, and then it ended up being written by Jim Zub. And Jim Zub has jumped ship along with Conan. Conan is now at the home of Titan Comics. So Conan the Barbarian number one, brackets, ongoing. Uh, brand new ongoing series from Heroic Signatures and Titan Comics. So Jim Zub is going to be writing Conan the Barbarian with art by Roberto de la Torre and Jose Villarubia. Robert E. Howard's legendary Conan is back in a new tale of bravery and heroism. Years after the Battle of Venarium, a weary Conan returns to his homeland to seek rest and solitude. However, a mysterious scout rides to warn the Sumerians of an imminent threat on the march from the Pictish wilderness. Will Conan and his new ally be able to hold off this new horde of invaders? Once again, and this is a running theme for tonight, there is a uh, free comic book day for this Conan the Barbarian series, so definitely keep an eye out for that on Saturday the 6th of May as well. So uh, that free comic book day edition is going to lead in to issue one. Ah. But yeah, the covers are fantastic for this. I mean, the cover A by Dan Panasian's great. Roberto De La Torre's cover's great. Stanley Art Germ's done a great cover. There's a retro theme cover by Pat Searcher. Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame's done one. You've got one by E.M. Geist. You have a Conan movie novel replica oh, virgin foil. that's cool. But I know which one Keith's going to go for here. <laughs> yeah, buddy. He, he is a man who is a sucker for a map. Yep. And world building. Yeah. Uh, so cover G is a wraparound Hyborian Age map cardstock by Francesca Berald. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a wraparound cover showing the entire uh, Hyborian Age map. Yep, I'm there. Yeah, I thought you would be. And we're going to finish off with one last thing, which I'm just bringing to the attention. It's not my fandom but I'm not above uh, recommending these things. Yeah, there's been a Doctor Who one-shot that has been uh, sort of in development hell, for lack of a better term, that is written by probably the biggest American fan of Doctor Who, uh, which is Dan Slott. Uh, the art is by Christopher Jones and Matthew Dow Smith. Hold on. Is that Dan Slott of uh, Spider-Man writer fame? The very same. Okay. The very same. He is very vocal about the fact that he is a massive Doctor Who fan. Matter, uh, he's he's even said if they ever let uh, if they ever let an American be a showrunner, 
he has volunteered himself for the job. <laughs> Capable. Yeah, so uh, Spider-Man writer Dan Slott makes his Doctor Who comic book uh, debut. Witness the incredible adventures of the 10th Doctor like never before. <coughs> Martha Jones has been captured by the insatiable paramyths. Her only hope for survival is to distract them with sensational untold tales of the 10th Doctor facing off against his greatest foes, both classic and new. Featuring a bonus story starring the 9th Doctor and Rose Tyler. So, yeah, that's been solicited for a long time. I remember reading that solicit before. Do you know what's really funny about it, though? It's in this book, which is for stuff coming out in July. On sale October 11th. (laughs) (laughs) So they're still teasing you with it, I'm afraid. What a way to finish a previous podcast. What a way, indeed. So, yeah, so that is our sojourn through the previews books for May 2023. Again, as ever, most of these titles, Doctor Who aside, of course, are due for a July release. Uh, What's the cutoff date? Cutoff date is nice and healthy this time, so we've got it in nice and early. The cutoff date, I believe, is not until the... 19th of May so plenty of time to get your orders in as ever pop into the shop to place any orders drop us an email coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com jump on the Facebook messenger whatever your preferred method of contact is just let us know and we can set that up for you either on a pull list that you already have or if you'd like to set up a new one with us we can certainly take care of that as well but we're going to leave it there but as I say just a gentle reminder uh, a free comic book day coming up Saturday the 6th of May because so many titles in there are dependent on you picking up the free comic book day issue <laughs> including the entire DC Night Terrors event I'm starting to wonder whether I'm actually here on Saturday the 6th of May or whether I'm just going to have to depend on you to oh see looking look special favours huh? well, well it's lucky you share a podcast with me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah keep an eye out for a free comic book day as I say guys Saturday the 6th of May will be opening at the special time of 9am and uh, working right through that so hopefully we'll see you there for that and as ever I hope this proved useful and uh, maybe pointed out a few things you might have missed and uh, lovely to be back in the same room uh, recording a podcast uh, I hope the the uh, the sound quality wasn't too bad we will uh, sort it out over the next few weeks but I uh, hope we'll be uh, remaining in the same room to do this we're at the behest of Apple's technology here hence why Keith is so uncertain mm. so uh, anyway hope you guys enjoyed this and we'll look forward to checking in with you again soon Good night. so I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller you can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast you can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.